Welcome to Regal's RyeCast, where we share all things LiDAR. I'm Nikita Gridden, Training Coordinator for Regal USA. This series features interviews with industry experts from around the world. Innovative LiDAR applications, best practices, workflow advice, and even exciting news about hardware and software. The podcasts are produced by Regal at their North American headquarters, located in Central Florida, and available worldwide through our Regal newsroom on www.regal.com. Please visit our website to subscribe to the newsroom. Simply input your email address and click. It's that easy. The Regal.com website is a great place to find detailed information on the many LiDAR scanning hardware, firmware, and software products that Regal provides. Or request more information or a call from one of our Regal specialists. Welcome to another episode of Celebrating the 10 Years of Success with the VMX with Josh France. We are joined by my colleague Josh France, Mobile Segment Business Manager at Regal USA, and Dr. Robert Radovanovich, Calgary Engineering Branch Manager at McElhaney. Their discussion features Dr. Rob's interesting experiences scanning hundreds of miles with the VMX 450, predecessor to the current model, the VMX 2HA, what they have learned over the years of scanning with the VMX, and analyze industry demands in certain mobile surveying and environmental markets. Good afternoon. I'm here today with Dr. Rob Radovanovich, joining us all the way from beautiful Calgary, Alberta, Canada. He works for McElhaney, which is an employee-owned company and has a rich history going way back to 1910. They have over 30-plus offices in Western Canada and some specialty offices elsewhere around the U.S. and Canada. When they added Dr. Rob to their team back in 2018, they got a package deal, including the VMX 450. The VMX 450 was Regal's first sensor upgrade to our original VMX design, and Dr. Rob has been working with the system since 2012 on a variety of projects and has always known just how to push the envelope of the surveying technology. So welcome to a longtime friend of Regal, Dr. Rob. Thanks, Josh. Tell us a little bit about uh, McElhaney. Certainly. So uh, you kind of put together a really great summary there. McElhaney is primarily based in Western Canada. Uh, we have a majority of our offices in Alberta and British Columbia, about 1,200 employees altogether. And uh, really what we are is an integrated surveying environmental uh, and engineering firm with additional professionals like landscape architects, stormwater modelers, things like that mixed in the mix. And, and our goal, kind of our philosophy is really to focus on the markets of energy resources, cities and communities, and transportation and transit. And in each of those market segments, we're always looking for a one plus one equals three type solution, which usually comes from kind of an innovative approach towards stacking services and building on our kind of communal strengths, right? So yeah, we've been really fortunate uh, at McElhaney to be working on a number of projects for like you said, the last hundred years, and we're looking forward to to a hundred more here. Great, that's always the challenge with combining service. There, how do you uh, how do you add two things together and get more than they expect? But you've always been very good at doing that. And of course, what's on everybody's mind during these challenging times is what's the uh, current pandemic view from the beautiful city of Calgary, and how have you had to make adjustments? Um, I'd say interesting, and what I mean by that is this COVID pandemic has, it's really created a lot of uncertainty. And so for us, what's been interesting is, you know, when we take a look at market signals and uh, level of work that we're doing, we're fairly consistent and steady. So it doesn't seem that for us, 
this pandemic is necessarily changing our market outlook. However, what it is doing is it's really putting a lot of questions around the timing, right? We're seeing RFPs get delayed, governments trying to figure out what their stimulus packages are looking at. And so there's there's just a lot of uncertainty in terms of timing, and that makes doing business hard. So it's as I say, it's weird. We're we're busy, but we're always kind of worried about okay, what's coming next down the pipe? It's difficult to predict. Yeah, I see that a lot too. And I, I think the more uncertainty it seems to be building the longer this goes on. And certainly with how different people are going to respond to future events. Like for me personally, uh, what's going to happen with schooling in the fall is a big question mark for my kids. And I'm sure that's on the mind of a lot of people is how do we go back safely? Yeah. hundred percent. Totally. And like, it's interesting because we are now talking about, for example, like a double bump, you know, a loosen up and then have to retighten. One of the things I was very impressed with, I have to say, you have to imagine at McElhaney, we've got 1200 plus folks. And I guess it would be six weeks ago now, there was a Wednesday where we just went fully remote and everybody ended up taking their computers, going home. And we started virtual operations. And as I say, for the last two months now, we've been 100% of our workforce has been working from home if they've got like a traditionally office-based role and we're in the field under, you know, modified situations. And uh, and I really, if I'm going to be honest, I was concerned about that because moving such a large amount of people out of offices where they're used to having their 48-inch plotters and all of these sort of amenities to work in from their, you know, home offices or their kitchen tables or wherever that posed a big challenge, but we really rose to that occasion. And, and we've been doing, we've been doing really great. And it's really opening up a whole lot of questions about what the nature of work looks like in the future. Yeah, I totally agree. We've uh, been following very similar protocols with mainly remote days and just the last couple of weeks coming back into the office to reconnect and make sure everyone's doing okay and just touching base and going back home every now and then. So yeah, well, let's jump back into some mobile scanning topics here, because I'm sure we can talk about the pandemic for quite a long time and solve absolutely nothing with it yet. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. So uh, mobile laser scanning has always been about making a, a new acquisition method work at the edge of its capabilities. What was one of the projects where you worked on, especially with the VMX, that really surprised you in a good way? So I would point out, I'm going to laugh as I'm saying this right now. Using the VMX for us has always been pushing the envelope. What really surprised me is jobs where things went flawlessly. And I distinctly remember actually a job we did a number of years ago where we had to scan uh, about 200 miles worth of uh, roadway. And the whole purpose of the job was to pull out all of the power line crossings. So you have these power lines crossing this road and a client wants to move a high load through that and they need to figure out like okay if we're going to move this object from point a to point b how many power lines do we have to raise and traditionally there was some i think 150 or so crossings along this stretch of highway and to do that conventionally you would have had to have surveyors go out and measure you know with the total station height of wire and all it would have been very tedious and so we decided to use the vmx for this job and in this particular case what we actually ended up doing was just simply, we just drove that VMX down the road, drove it back down the road. Data sets came in nice, beautiful point cloud. You know, it took us two hours, three hours worth of data collection. 
And then we leveraged some of the tools from our friends over at Solve3D to be able to do data extraction and QAQC. These power line crossings came out and, and we were done. What would have taken months of manual surveying, we managed to pull off inside of, you know, a week, 10 days. And that job went really nice. So that that was probably, that's a job I always look back to saying like, man, the VMX excelled in that particular situation. Oh, I almost hate to ask the second follow-up to this question, but I wrote it down, so let's go for it. What was a memorable project that unfortunately did not work out as you expected? And how did you rise to meet the challenge anyways? I would say, <laughs> I'm going to quote a Russian author here and say, all problematic mobile scan projects are problematic in their own way. So I've got a laundry list of little funny idiosyncrasies, but one that really comes to mind was, you know, a problem that happens with a piece of equipment like the VMX is that when it works, it works really, really good. And so that gives a certain sense of security that, that man, like this is a silver bullet. You just drive it around and it collects data and you're done surveying. Why would we even do surveying anymore? This industry is dead because we've got these mobile scanners now. But if you don't think about data acquisition, scan alignment, uh, adjustment, how the thing actually works, you can get some pretty devilish data sets and real problems. And so again, a couple of years ago, we had a job to scan an entire neighborhood here in Calgary. And neighborhood was probably... 40 blocks by let's say 40 blocks we had to scan the whole neighborhood for a just to get a dem of the existing pavement surface condition so straightforward kind of job and i didn't pay enough attention to giving instructions to the field collection crew as to how to pre-set up their collection mm. because i you know you just kind of figure like okay cool they're gonna get in the truck they're gonna drive and for this neighborhood, it's just driving. Yeah, it's just driving. Uh, for this neighborhood, as opposed to doing grids, right? Like starting from one street and driving the whole street for 40 blocks, turning around, driving the next street. What they did was they collected the entire neighborhood by driving a block, turning right, driving a block, turning right, driving a block, turning right. So they did these weird loops, one block loops for the entire thing. So to adjust such a thing, that was oh, hundreds of hours. Yeah. Like you basically gave up on Rye Precision and you were scan data aligning, right? Because it was just these infinite little yeah. circles. Yeah, it, you're definitely challenging the heading sensor, wow. not just a couple times, <laughs> every block. Yeah. you are like, hey, make sure you're working perfectly. I'm going to turn again. Well, How about and, now? <laughs> and, and for sure. And you know, like you could say like, oh, well, you see mobile scan, it doesn't work. But like, no, mobile scanning works. It's a tool, it has limitations, and you have to think always about how you're going to do that adjustment, right? And you're absolutely right. You're just putting this poor sucker through its paces with these infinite right-handed turns uh, in a poor GPS environment because it was a mature neighborhood with a lot of trees. Oh, yeah. Just just the worst. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, too, is that miss sometimes in the thinking about mobile mapping projects is data management. Yeah. Uh, while it's not an airborne system that's going out and mowing the lawn for, you know, thousands of kilometers, it's just 40 miles. You're like, but if you collect it the wrong way, it becomes a ton of data over that small amount of space. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So that brings me to another good point. Uh, we talked about projects, you know, for many of us in the United States, Canada seems like a very reasonably same country as the U.S. in many aspects. And since you've done mobile mapping survey jobs in both countries, where do you see the big differences in how uh, DOTs and ministries of transportation look at the mobile mapping technology? Uh, I would say that from a data acceptance perspective, U.S. DOTs are significantly further ahead than their Canadian counterparts. But I think this is driven also by the nature of the markets. And what we've seen, Canada versus the U.S., is the U.S. market is way more developed for mobile scan applications than the Canadian market. And that was one of the reasons that really kind of pushed us towards expanding and looking for opportunities uh, south of the border is the demand for asset management from DOTs, for example, is further ahead than in Canada. In Canada, we are just now, from an asset management standpoint, really getting into the whole concept that a community needs to have an asset management plan to be able to access, for example, gas tax funding. Right? Since 2009, municipalities in Alberta have needed to have tangible capital accounting to be able to draw on some federal programs. But really in the states, it's been a long time now that like, if you want federal interstate funding, thou shalt have an asset management program. And that drives the demand for mobile scanning because mobile scanning is super well aligned for asset management purposes. The second thing is you got to appreciate that infrastructure in the states is much more, first of all, complex in general than in Canada because of higher population densities in a few centers. And it's older in a lot of cases. So you've got these naughty, thorny problems where you're trying to, you know, put a high occupancy vehicle lane, but you've got seven flyovers already and you got to thread this thing through here. Those kind of projects just don't really exist in Canada. And again, those are the projects where mobile scanning excels because you definitely don't want to be shutting down lanes on the interstate. All right. So I, I think there's just much more application in the U.S., uh, and that's really driven DOTs to be more aggressive in terms of using that that data. Well, that's a lot of good points on that. There are definitely some, you know, there's little small differences with laws and the way people are looking to account for dollars being spent. Uh, while it sometimes seems like there's no one paying attention to that, a lot of controls have been in place for quite a long time yeah. uh, to do that. So... Another good question here I have prepared is one of the things that I remember talking to early on back in the early 10s, I guess it was called the 2013 beyond period there. You've always really pushed the way surveys were executed. And what are some of your new techniques you're working on? I know one of my favorite uh, questions, I think we got into a deep conversation at IMLF one year was, is that you had created probably before most people were thinking about it, a pipe plane where you attached a camera to it and sort of threw it out into the woods to fly over pipelines. Yeah, it's funny, like, just to give everyone a point of reference. Yes, that was like, in 2000, we built a very crude UAV out of PVC pipe and some hand cut styrofoam wings to, to do reclamation, environmental reclamation monitoring at that time. Right. Uh, those were those were the Halicon days. I think one of the big changes, I'm like this. This doesn't sound as Tony Stark as I would like myself to sound, but I think over the last decade, for sure, the last decade, a lot of the priority has switched from hardware innovation to software innovation and workflow because it seems that 
from a geomatics perspective, from a surveying perspective, hardware providers have really accelerated, right? So, you know, it's super cool. Wow. Like Rob, you, you made a remote controlled airplane in 2000. That's amazing. Yeah. But nowadays who cares? DJI ships. One could only wonder how many million drones a year around the world, right? Hardware has become very accessible to people now. Uh, cost of scanners has been going down. Scanner adoption rates have been going up. Surveying equipment, even just from the the land surveying perspective, total stations are now commonplace on construction sites and are very easily used by folks who don't necessarily have formal academic training, right? So the nature of the hardware has changed. So it's very accessible in the world. Our capacity to collect data is huge. You know, iPads are going to get chips to collect low-grade scan clouds. And photogrammetry based on digital cameras is very mature now. But this huge amount of data isn't necessarily revolutionizing the way we execute projects because we need software and work processes to actually digest it. So like at McElhaney, for example, one of the really interesting things we've been focusing on is, is more use of InfraWorks, right? So Autodesk products to be able to digest point clouds and rapidly render streetscapes. Or how do we use 360 degree photography that VMX captures, for example, to improve public engagement, right? The problem isn't collecting the 360 camera, it's how do you quickly make a platform that is easy for people to work with that data in? And uh, so I think it's some of those aspects that are actually where the future is going. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I've, I, I think the way that we interact with the data that we're collecting is going to just increase uh, tenfold in the next couple of years in order for it to leverage really its full value. Yeah. When I first started in mobile mapping sales, everyone would say, oh, well, it's faster, better, cheaper concept where you can scan one job and then reuse it a bunch of times because you know you have this datable data available to you at your fingertips to just look up and take another measurement. And while that was true, it wasn't so easy to execute that. But now with being able to basically store things on a server somewhere and access it over a web browser, that workload has become a lot easier. And uh, people are finally, I think, taking more advantage of the scan once and resell it five time model that we used to promise you could do uh, or hoped you could do. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's also interesting. So I agree with you that, you know, that scan once sell five times model. It's like a holy grail, right, for for people who are in the scan collection um, business. And yeah. like I see a number of stages here as far as getting to this ubiquity of digitized reality. And when we take a look 10 years ago, yeah, I'd say 10 years ago. We were in a zone where only experts collected and only experts used, right? So scanning was something that a rarefied group of people did yep. and a rarefied group of people used that data. You were a piping designer and there was a specific kind of software you used to use the data to enhance your piping design that a specialist went and collected because collecting the data was hard. Then we've now moved into a zone where we're at the ubiquitous collect phase. So everybody can collect the data. We haven't quite moved to everybody use because tools like SketchUp or InfraWorks aren't as user friendly. Like we've got a, there's an enthusiast community of people who are doing these 3D models, but it's still a little bit hard to do this. 
right? It's still a little bit hard to get scan data into design software. Once we move into that, well, then we'll liberate the value of that scan data so that lots of people can do all types of fascinatingly innovative workflows with them. But the third piece of the puzzle, which I think this is a personally a very a very important professional interest for me right now, is once everybody's collecting and everybody can use and those problems are solved, we're going to get back to the age old problem of how do we know the scan data is good, right? Like right now, even with mobile scanning, and I think you'd agree, it's the QAQC that's the that's the hard part. Right. Like, okay, we're going to paint chevrons. We're going to survey those chevrons. We're going to compare them to the scan cloud. And then we're going to use Rye Precision to adjust to those surveyed chevrons. Well, that's good, but that still means experts are collecting and processing. How can we have a generalized tool where the car that is collecting LIDAR data automatically as it's driving down the street and feeding it into some municipally owned 3D database of point cloud data, how do we automatically check that data so that anyone who subsequently consumes that data knows it's all right, right? If I'm going to use a really bad example, we need something like the, in Canada, it'd be the the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. I don't know what the example in the States would be, but I just want to go buy a ham. I don't want to check if the ham's good. I just want a stamp on it that says, yeah, this was processed in an approved facility and it's good. You can eat it, right? Yeah, USDA, yeah. We mm-hmm. need that for scan data. That is the challenging part, right? How do you QAQC a 3D point cloud and know that it's good quickly without going through and basically walking the data? Well, exactly, and in particular, again, let's overuse my Delhi example here. How do I know that I can go and buy your scan data off the shelf, not talk to you, and somehow know the data is fit for my design project without having to rehire a surveyor or somehow go through some complex vetting procedure, right? And if I can do that, then I think you've really liberated the whole value of that data. And it's strange because it's a space that not a lot of people are focusing on. Yeah. This is true. It's always the challenging part of every training scenario for scanners or even revisits and topics is how do you do effective QAQC and sort of put that stamp on there to know that what you did was the right thing to do to produce the end result your client asked you for. And, And right now the answer is you better have survey control or else you can't really say anything meaningful about the data. You can say it looks nice. Well, exactly. And again, very hard for me to buy an arbitrary LAS file and know it's good. Very interesting topic to explore more. I'll have to think on that and come up with a uh, solution. You you, yeah. Let me know. We'll make Sounds a deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with me a little bit today and look back on the exciting past of the VMX and uh, a very promising future for mobile mapping technologies and a great discussion on some future enabling events that have to occur or technologies that say that are needed to really unlock the door to the uh, bright future that mobile scanning has always had and seems to continue to have an outlook towards. Yeah, 100%. So thanks for joining me today. It was great catching up with you. Not quite the same as being in person at a conference or trade show somewhere across the United States, but it'll do It's for a now. little bit more direct, I suppose, and a little less karaoke at the end of it all. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Well, thanks, Josh. I appreciate it. I'm going to go back to seeing how kids' homework ended up today. And I'm sure we'll see each other in person at some juncture in the unknown future. That sounds like a good plan. I'll talk to you later, Rob.
Thank Take you. Care. Thank you, Dr. Radovanovich and Josh. It is great to know that after years of scanning with the VMX, we have maintained a great professional relationship for future projects. We look forward to your next episode. Did you know Regal opened an office in Canada in 2019 to better support our Canadian customers? For more info, please send a note to info at regalusa.com or call 407-248-9927. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our RightCast podcast and the Regal Ultimate LiDAR webinar series through our international newsroom on www.regal.com. You, the Regal users, give us the best stories to tell. We always appreciate your suggestions, so please send us your ideas or comments to communications at regalusa.com. And as always, have an ultimate LiDAR day. Until next time, Nikita signing off.